If you have your Bibles, I invite your attention to the Gospel of St. John. And here we have another true teaching of Jesus, a teaching where Jesus tried to help people to understand what he was all about. If you go with me to the eighth chapter this morning, well, I'll start the sixth, let's go to the sixth, no, I'm going to do that in Romans, but the eighth chapter of John, I'm going to go through the 31st verse. There's a first phrase there I want you to make note of, because oftentimes I think we miss a, a very important issue. If you have your Bibles and it says that 31st verse, then Jesus said to those Jews, did you notice that next phrase, please? Who believed in him? Not the skeptics, not the doubters, not the ones who were his enemies, but those who believed in him he spoke to. I'm speaking to people this morning predominantly, overwhelmingly, who believe in Jesus Christ. You are Christians. You have been converted. But I pose this question to you, have you been set free? You might not, you don't understand the context of that quite yet, but I hope you will before I finish this morning. Have you been set free? Now that man that fell in that grave didn't think he could be set free until someone touched him and all of a sudden out he came for he realized he could do it if he really tried. That's true of so many things in life. Oftentimes we're convinced we cannot do it until we have to and then we do it. In this particular instance, these Jews apparently were not living in freedom. We're living in a nation in which we take great pride in our freedom. Just this week, we're going to celebrate our freedom. Incidentally, isn't it interesting? This coming week, we're going to celebrate our freedom, and we're going to have a 10% additional tax put on every gallon of gasoline. Kind of reminds us how free we really are, doesn't it? But Jesus said, If you abide in my word, that's the Greek word logos. It's more than just a thought or a concept. What he was saying is, if you learn what I am trying to teach you, you will learn then the truth, and the truth is what will then set you free. What is truth? Well, of course, the Greek word, some of you probably know, is aletheia. It just simply means what it means in English, the opposite of a lie. It means something that is factually correct. It is truth. Was Jesus speaking to them about learning some additional facts? Was he talking to them about the Torah? Was he talking to them about the Pentateuch? Was he talking to them about the the law? Was he talking to them about any of the Sadducee teachings? No, not any of these things. What was he saying? He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. They immediately took issue with him as some of us might. They said, do you know who you're talking to? We are Jews. We've never been anybody's slave. Who do you think you are telling? Now remember, these were not his enemies. These were his adherents. These were his friends. Just in the last couple of days, I met with two different families. Didn't meet with them. They're friends of mine. And I was talking with them. And in both instances, these folks, I said, where are you going to church now? And you know what their response was? Don't go anywhere. And I, in my humility, humility, said, oh, I thought you were Christians. And they gave me this weird look, and I said, I'm dead serious. Christians go to church. And then they started giving me excuses. You know what Benjamin Franklin said about excuses? Benjamin Franklin said in his life experience, he'd found that people who were good at excuses weren't very much good at anything else. Benjamin Franklin wasn't a fool. Yes, they said, um, 
Well, we are Christians. We just, uh, we've gotten out of the habit. Show me a gentleman who has gotten out of the habit of coming home after work. And maybe for six days and six weeks and maybe six months, instead of coming home, he goes to someone else's home. And I'll show you a man who in seven months will be in divorce court. In eight months, he'll be single. Within a year, he'll never see his children. You don't come to God's house, don't tell me you're a Christian. That's kind of what Jesus was saying, but he wanted to become a little bit more distinct with them. He said, not only as a result of this will you become truth tellers, but you will become my disciples. Now, a disciple is one who longs to become like the master. In their day and age and in their vocabulary, they were very familiar with that, though we are not. We've tried to do it in different ways, but we've not become very good at it. We've had trade unions in America, as we have in Europe for down through the centuries. And the purpose of the trade union was to pass the trade on so that the novice could learn how it's done by the master. And so eventually they could become the master electrician or carpenter or whatever the case might be. That he would learn the trade so well that he'd become like the master. Jesus said, if you will literally abide. Now that word abide, we lose the meaning of, I'm sure, in the English. But, it's, but it, it means dwell in, live with, make it a constant companion of yours. My word, as a result of doing that, you will understand truth. And your understanding of that truth will set you free. And my question is, from what? Well, it could be thought that it would be set free from the bondage of the law. My goodness gracious, did they have law. They had law, and then they, you know, it's kind of like the United States government. I don't know why the Congress meets all. Every time they meet, they pass a bunch more laws. No one knows the law now. We don't know what the law is. It's so complicated. And then they give you this, well, you're responsible for it if you don't know it. Stupidest thing in the world. Well, this is the way the world is. We make laws, and we make laws, and all the laws are made for people who don't want to do right in the first place. That's like locks on your doors. I came from a rural community. We didn't, I don't think we had locks for our doors, much less used them, because we didn't need them. People wouldn't break into your home. And I was told as a young man, and I'm still a bit of that persuasion, locks are not for crooks. They're for honest people, because crooks can get in in spite of the lock. They'll get in a heartbeat. You ever seen anybody break into a car? Not break into it mean, but they lock your keys in the car and they come along one of them little slim, slim things stick down the door. I had my car locked in there numbers of years ago. They called the police. police. Police are good thieves, buddy. I want to tell you, they steal every car in the neighborhood in 10 minutes. Within 30 seconds, he said, okay. I thought, man, you don't need a key to get in your car. They had laws. And then they had the Talmud. And then they had the laws to interpret the laws. And there were some of those are wonderful. That's why I love reading about and studying and talking to some people. Laws on top of laws. We're quite privileged in our community. I've spoken to the Wednesday night crowd about this a little bit. We live very close to a very strict, stringent Jewish community in Cleveland. Some of you may not be aware of it, but in Wycliffe there's a little group of people called Telsha Yeshiva. Have you ever heard of Telsha Yeshiva? Anybody? If you get a chance, learn from those folks. They are strict. You know, those women never cut their hair. But if you've seen one of them, you didn't see their hair. Because they have a rule that no one gets to see the woman's hair except her husband. So she wears a wig everywhere she goes in public. Did you know that? Because they think that would be wrong. That's, they got a rule about that. they got a rule about how far you can walk 
on the Sabbath. So they park their cars and their cars are never started on the Sabbath. They have a rule about what you can do on the Sabbath. You know, they don't even believe in turning electricity. They can't flick a light switch on the Sabbath. So if they think they're going to need light during the Sabbath, they flick it the day before and leave it on the whole time. You think Jesus was saying to the Jews, hey, I'll set you free from all those laws. He didn't leave much doubt. If you have your Bibles again, he says, most assuredly, I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house of the master. No, the son abides because he is free. And you too shall be free indeed. I know you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I spoke what I have seen with my, own, with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a terribly difficult teaching. It starts off by saying, those Jews who believed on him. But then he went on to say, you're not my disciples. You're not my people. You're of your father, the devil. I'm of my father, Who's in heaven? And I say to you what I've seen from him, and you do what you believe in from your father. How could they believe in him and do that the same way we do as professing Christians? Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe this is good. That I believe the Bible, but do we live by it? This was a question that apparently lingered in the minds of the disciples. I don't know that they ever came to an absolute understanding of it, but I want to go with you very quickly now to the book of Romans, the sixth chapter. I appreciate if you have your Bibles. I don't want you to think I'm reading from you the Koran or, or something else. I want you to know I'm in the book. The sixth chapter. Now, Paul is writing. Now, what was Paul? Was he a Jew or Gentile? Somebody tell me. He was a Jew. Definitely wasn't a Gentile. Matter of fact, he was a kind of an arrogant Jew. You say, why would you say? Because he said he was a Jew of the Jews. He was a little hotty-totty. He was somebody. He, he, was, he didn't mind passing the word. He said, not only am I a Jew, I am a Roman citizen. And many would hold to the fact that he was a rabbi and had rabbinical abilities. Certainly he was multilingual. He was extremely talented. And incidentally, as far as we know, he never really followed Jesus closely. But he heard about him and it ticked him off. He became an enemy of Jesus. And he got papers from the Sanhedrin to go and prosecute all of the followers of the way who were the Christians. And he, he was on his way to do that, as some of you will recall, when he had that wonderful conversion Damascus Road experience. That blinding light came down, blinded him. He was unable to see. And he cried out and said, Who are you, God, or Lord, or Kurios? And Jesus spoke back and said, It's me. You're, you're fighting a losing battle. That's a literal interpretation. Kicking against the goads. You're fighting a losing battle. And he went into Damascus and he was dramatically converted. And someone undoubtedly began to tell him, this is what Jesus taught. And he taught it to Jews. Oh, and I'm sure his, his ears must have pricked up a bit because he said, man, I'm a Jew of the Jews. I'm big time Jew. I, I'm Jew from the word jump and I always will be. Well, he taught this to the Jews. He said, Jews were slaves. I can imagine Paul kind of recoiled and became angry all Jews are slaves? This is the one thing the Jewish people always prided themselves on, was their ability, even in the midst of many times being beaten down by their enemies, they were always able apparently to avoid 
bondage and slavery. And I'm sure Paul had to be troubled. What in the world is he talking about? I met him on the Damascus Road. I believe he is God. I believe he's my Savior. And on and on and on he might go. But this makes no sense telling me I'm a slave. I've never been a slave to any. Matter of fact, I'm not only not a slave, I am a Roman citizen. Now you have to realize that in Rome at that time, 80% of the people who lived in the area were slaves. We've never experienced that. But the only people that were not slaves in Rome were the Roman citizens. Everybody else was a slave. And you had to treat them like they were your masters. If a Roman citizen was walking down the road or riding his chariot down the road and you were walking with your two children, you better get out of the way because if he runs over you and you get blood on his chariot, they can, he can get money out of your family because he's a citizen. Paul couldn't understand it, but he began to do some homework. And then he began to realize what he was talking about. The sixth chapter, he says, what shall we say then? Paul, was, that was his way of introducing it. I want to give you an answer to the question that really bothers us. He realized that what Jesus was saying is something most Christians still don't understand. Honest to goodness, folks, I'll be honest with you. Pastor Evans is not here this morning, but I know him to be your pastor. Most of you don't believe this. You can be free from sin. We don't believe it. We say, oh, well, I believe the Bible. But no, you don't. Because that's what Jesus was talking about. Jesus says, I will tell you this as my follower. If you'll really dwell in my word, it'll make you my disciple. And because you are my disciple, you will be set free, truly, truly, truly set free from sin. My friends, we are in a world today, in a country today, in a community today, that if you were to tell your friends and neighbors who are churchgoers, listen, I believe in living victory over sin, they'd look at you like you had a third eye on the top of your head. They think you're a heretic. Oh, well, we all sin every day in word, thought, and deed. And if you don't agree with them, they think you're a heretic. I want to tell you what the book says. I don't care what your next door neighbor says. Honestly, I don't care very much what you believe. This is the truth. If you are a Christian, you can live in victory over sin. But most of us don't because we're just like that fellow that fell in the graveyard late at night. We don't think we can. But I want to be the one to touch your leg this morning and maybe you'll jump out. You can do it. Not because of you, but because Christ that's in you, the hope of glory. In my lifetime, I've been able to see, and, and I thank the Lord for it, people who were dramatically delivered from tremendous addiction. We call it addiction. When I was a boy, alcoholism didn't exist. We had drunks. Then as time passed, we said, no, it's alcoholism. Now it's an addiction. Now it's been added to by all other kinds of addictions. We're addicted to everything today. But let me not be unclear. Addiction is another modern word for sin. No question about that. You say, well, pastor, you've been awful hard on people that are addicted. I'm not trying to be hard on them. I want to be honest with them. But I want to also say to you, I've seen numbers of people in my lifetime who were instantaneously, dramatically delivered from alcohol. I had one gentleman I was speaking to, didn't talk to him about that particularly, but he told me a story. He said, preacher, let me tell you a story, a true, true story. He said, I came down to an altar prayer a number of years ago, and I really gave my heart to Jesus Christ, and I was marvelously converted. He said, pastor, I, I smoked, I don't remember how many cigarettes, he said, two or three packs a day. He said, I'd done that for 25 years. He said, while I was at that altar that night, God delivered me from nicotine. You may not choose to believe that, but that's what he said. 
He said, Pastor, there were, there were day, every day after that, and it went on for several months. It probably took six months. Almost every day, he said, I'd be at work, I'd be somewhere, and I'd reach. Because he said, I always kept my cigarettes right here in my pocket. He said, I'd reach for those cigarettes every day. Then every other, he said, the old habit was there, but the desire was gone. I believe people can be delivered from alcohol. I've seen people get delivered from drugs. And, and I know some families, probably in this church this morning, you have a loved one or a family member or a friend, and you say, Pastor, I, I'd love to believe God could set my son, my daughter, my husband, my wife, my child, somebody free. I'd love to believe God can do that. Do you really think God's not capable? And you'd have to say, yeah, well, yeah, I, I believe he's capable. You believe God's capable of delivering somebody from alcohol or drugs this is where you're supposed to say amen. But all of you looking at me like I'm just a brand new gate on a car, corral, but that's okay. Because I got to this is the problem I see with people. Oh, I believe, yeah, I know God could heal and or God could deliver or God could do. And they, they could do that for my son. I wish you would all oh, preacher. I wish God would deliver my son. I'll tell you why I know he won't. Because you don't believe God can deliver you. You say, preacher, I don't drink. I don't take drugs. No, no. But you are addicted to sin, and by your attitude, your words, and your actions, you are saying to your family members, I don't believe God can do that for you. You say, oh, no, preacher, I'd never, ever tell anybody God could do that. You are by the way you act. When you tell them you sin every day in word, thought, and deed, you're telling them God can't deliver them. Because if God can't deliver you, and you're a churchgoer, and you're religious, and you read your Bible, and you pray, and you tithe, and you do all these other religious things, if God had not going to deliver you, surely he's not going to deliver this drug addict or this whatever else there might be. Jesus said to the Jews, I'm here to tell you you're a slave. They said, oh, we're not slaves. Just like you might say, I'm not a slave. I'm not addicted. I'm not. But then they said, Why? what are you talking about? We are the descendants of Abraham. Don't you know that? Jesus said, I know exactly who you are. But I also know exactly whom you serve. And as long as you serve sin, you are a slave to sin. And when you let God deliver you from sin, my father can do that, he said. Then you become a slave to righteousness. You may not believe me yet, but I want to go to Paul. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin? Have you heard this in your religious bringing up? Shall we continue to sin that grace might abound? Oh, God's a gracious God. God can forgive you of anything. I know he can. I know he can. The question is not can he. The question is will he. And I want to clarify. Some people might hear that and they say, Oh, I believe God will heal, will forgive anybody of anything. I know he can. I want to tell you a secret. Tom, he doesn't always do it. My Bible tells me the only way Jim O'Leary got saved is by repenting. If you didn't repent, you didn't get forgiven. Is that not true? That's a condition. People say, I don't believe there are any conditions on salvation. Then you're a hell-bound heretic. The Bible says you must repent, you must believe, you must accept, and then you are redeemed. Well, amen. That's good Bible preaching right there. You may not believe it. That's good. Strong biblical teaching. You have to repent, you have to believe, you have to accept, and then you even have to confess it according to the scripture. That's what the Bible says what you have to do to be saved. Well, so can he save you if you don't do those things? Yes, he can. Will he? No, he won't. Why? He said he wouldn't. And God doesn't lie. Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, if you want to be set free, then you have to abide in my word. And then you're going to be my disciple. And then you're going to be set free from sin. Because as long as you serve sin, you can't serve my father. Or do you not know 
that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, even so we should walk in newness of life. It's not, this is not about baptism. You might hear that, but that's not what he's talking about. Let's go on. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly also we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Is that what your book says? I mean, this is not some other book. I didn't bring this from the library. This is the Bible. I'm reading from you from the New King James Version. These were the words of Paul. He said, if any man is baptized in Christ, you are dead. Have you ever in your life even thought about walking into a funeral home and walking up to the casket and looking over and saying, how do you feel? You say, well, preacher, I'm not that stupid. I know you're not. Do you ever worry about what they think? No. Why? Why? They are dead. Dead people don't feel, think, worry. They don't do that. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are dead to sin. That's what Paul said. That's what Jesus said. And this was Paul's teaching. This is the, you have to understand that for Jewish people, the didache, the teaching, was the expounding upon what the kerygma was, which is the basics of the gospel. And the basics of the gospel, according to Jesus, was, I am come that you might be set free. I'm going to die on the cross for your sin. Everybody here that believes Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, would you say an amen this morning? So if he died on the sin, what, on the cross for your sin, what a ridiculous concept that he took my sins and I'm going to take them too. You don't need to take them. He's already got them. And he's not here to help you to carry them. He's not here to whitewash them over. The Bible says if anyone be in Christ, he's a brand new creation. Everything old's gone, everything new has come, and you don't need to carry your sin anymore. Why? Because they're not there anymore. What happened to them? He took care of them on the cross. This is the Bible teaching. That may not be what you normally hear in church, but that's what the Bible teaches. We, we're so busy today, we want to be politically correct, wouldn't want to hurt anybody's feelings and all this bull. That's religious theological thought for crap. <laughs> Folks, the Bible says we don't have to live in sin. We don't have to do it. And how many times, well, I'm sorry, I can't help it. Someone just telling me recently, last night, well, preacher, I just got mad at some people at church. You're telling me. I got my feelings hurt. No kidding. Suck it up. Stop being such a baby. Grow up and realize Jesus paid for it all. It's all under the blood. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. The only question is, do you want to stay down in a grave with that drunk or you want to get out? Let God touch your leg this morning and say, get out of here. Stop living in sin. Stop making excuses. And as long as we can make it, as long as we've got a, and we'll never find any problem having people say, oh, you're right, that's right. I, I can't live in victory. You're right, you're right. I can't help but sin. You're right, you're right, you're right. No, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, and they're lying to you. They're lying to you. It's not, if that's the case, folks, Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry, this is the truth. If you can't live in victory over sin, Jesus died for nothing. I don't know how we got this warped theology that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for our sins so we wouldn't have to go to hell. But as long as we're here, we've got to live in it. It's just not biblical. He died that we might be free. If any man be in Christ, brand new. Set free. Martin Luther King, during his 
pinnacle as a leader in the United States, mostly over the civil rights issue, he had this phrase. He simply said, free at last, free at last, praise God Almighty, we're free at last. You may have heard that phrase from his lips, maybe it's heard on tape. It was so true. He was primarily talking about black people in America and all the oppression they experienced in the Civil War and then even after that in slavery. But that's not really what he was quoting it out of context. He wasn't talking about slavery to the white man or the black man or the blue man or anybody else. He was talking about slavery to sin. Have you ever come to the place in your life that you could say in unison with Martin Luther King, free at last, free at last, praise God Almighty, I am free at last. But not from the slavery the world imposes, but from the slavery we were born with as a child. There are little children in this building today. There's some down that nursery. There were little children up here. You know nobody will ever have to teach them to be selfish. Never have to offer a class. No one would take it, Todd. You don't need to offer it. Don't need to tell them, hey, come here. Bring all your children to church next Sunday. We're going to teach them how to say mine. Never have to. You know why? Because when they're two months, six months, whatever time, well, some of the first words they'll say is mine. And if their brother, sister, or neighbor next to them reaches for it, they'll smack them. That's mine. You learned it from a child. You did not learn it, folks. You were born with it. So was I. That carnal old nature, that bent to do sin, nobody had to teach it to you. And you can't teach it out of them either. You can only be redeemed. Redeemed. Washed away. Taken away. Tell you one final thing, and I don't even know what time it is, but I'm sure I'm over. But forgive me. I'm not going to preach for a few weeks, so what do I care? Don't come next Sunday. I don't care. You may not know it, but we are all here this morning directly as a result of the actions of one man by the name of Martin Luther. He is the founder of the Lutheran Church. It is called the Lutheran Church because of Martin Luther. And we hear about his 95 theses, and we hear about uh, his basic scripture was solus fides, he believed we're saved by faith. And people have taken that and oh, Paul, Martin Luther believed we're saved by faith plus nothing. I'm not trying to make myself out to be a student, but I have read a lot about Martin Luther and studied. Martin Luther didn't believe that for one hour. You know why he put the thesis on the door of the church? Most people don't even realize it. It was because of plenary indulgences. You may not know what an indulgence was, but in the Catholic Church of that day, the Pope was building on to the Vatican. And he wanted St. Peter's Square to be right, and he needed a lot of money. So they had a practice in the church that for a certain amount of money, you'd be giving an indulgence. You may have heard the phrase that when the coin hit to the bottom of the, the offering box rings another soul from hell flings. Because they believed if you gave a certain amount to the church, you could kind of redeem people to get out of hell. It wasn't really hell. They talked to them about purgatory, which is another thing I won't go into right now. Well, they got this, this pope. He was smart. He said, man, money's not coming in quick enough. We got to have more money. So he came up with another papal edict. And he said this, from this point on, anyone that will give a certain amount of money to be decided by me and the archbishops. If you give that amount of money, we will give you a plenary indulgence. Now, you may not know what a plenary indulgence is, but this was a slick thing, Bubba. When you got a plenary indulgence, then you were not only forgiven of your past sins and your present sins, you were forgiven all of your future sins. So you could not, you didn't have to worry about it ever again because you had given a certain amount of money. You were never going to have to worry about your sins again. They were all forgiven. And when you died, you were going to go right straight into the bosom of Abraham. Guess what happened to attendance at the church in Wittenberg, Germany? Boom. Guess who was pastor of that church? 
Martin Luther. Guess what happened to the income of that church? Boom. You know why? Because he had one of the most affluent churches in all of the Catholic kingdom. His church went down through the floor, so he puts this thesis on the door of his church and basically said, hey, I want to talk about this thing. You know what he was irritated about? The concept that you could be a Christian and keep on sitting. Now it's been 400 and some years, and here we sit in a holiness church on a Sunday morning, and most people sitting in the pew believe you can't help but sin every day in word, thought, and deed, and it's a lie from hell. It was a lie in 1517. It's a lie today. It was a lie whenever St. Augustine dealt with it. And it was a lie when Jesus looked at those Jews 2,000 years ago and said, I'm here to tell you the truth will set you free. And the free truth is sin is your enemy and I'm dying for you that your sins might be taken away. And if you're living with a theology that says when you got saved, the blood of Jesus whitewashed your sins or covered them over, you're, you're buying a lie. He didn't die on the cross to cover them over. Thank God Almighty, He died on the cross to take them away. You say, where did you get that from? Old Testament. My Bible says He removed my sins as far from me as the east is from the west. So He could remind me of it next morning? No, never to be heard of again. We have a lot of wonderful songs in the church. At the cross, at the cross. Where I first saw the light do you know that next phrase on it? Any of you older people remember that? And the burdens of my heart were rolled away. It was there by faith that I received my sight. And now I'm happy every day. Free from what? Free from the burden of sin. Would you pray with me? Lord God, be with these your people this morning. Thank you for their listening so kindly. Grant unto us an especial visitation of your spirit. Be with our pastor this morning, Brother Evan. Grant that his back will experience quick healing. Look forward to having him back Wednesday and next Sunday. And may you be glorified through our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remain seated, please, I think we have our announcements.